Good morning. My name is John Matthews, and uh, I'm going to read our scripture reading today. If you'd like to follow along, turn to the book of Haggai. It's all of two chapters, third from the end of the Old Testament. While you're finding that, what I'd like to do, the character names in here are a little bit difficult. Um, let, Let me just briefly introduce them. The Lord himself is the author of the book, and he writes himself into the story in this particular instance. Haggai is the Lord's prophet. He speaks to people on behalf of the Lord. Um, King Darius is not a character at all. He is referenced at the beginning and the end for timing. If you want to know when these events took place, you can see when King Darius ruled. So that leaves Zerubbabel. He is the governor of the remnant of people who are left in Judah. And then Joshua, the son of uh, Jehozadak, not to be confused with Joshua, the son of Nun, who led Israel into the land of Israel centuries before. This is much later. And so this is Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and he is high priest of the people. So having said that, beginning at verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to, uh, to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, to the son of Shealtiel, to the governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not yet come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai to the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house is desolate? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house which lies because of my house which lies desolate. While each of you runs to his own house, therefore because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, the earth has withheld its produce. I I call for drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, with the words of Haggai the prophet, uh, excuse me, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. And Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord, saying uh, to the people, saying, 
I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we come to your word now, I pray that we would come expectant, expectant to hear a relevant word for us, for our day. Lord, we desire to have soft, pliable hearts before you that your word can fall like a seed and take root and grow in. And we see the fruit being born out in our lives and our lives changed by it. Uh, Lord, may we come with that sense of expectation to your word this morning, and may we hear you speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are starting a new sermon series today on the book of Haggai. If you're still trying to find it, I suggest looking in the clean part of your Bible. As it's one of my father's jokes. Uh, one of the reasons why we're tackling the book of Haggai is because we don't want portions of the Bible to stay clean, do we? We believe that all the Bible is inspired by God and profitable for the people of God. While it's understandable that the major prophets who sometimes wrote as much as 66 chapters in one book, it's understandable that they capture more of our attention than those who just wrote one or two chapters. Still, we don't want to neglect the minor prophets, do we? Uh, because every portion of God's words has something special to say. No bits, no book is superfluous. It's all needed. Now, I, I don't know much about music, next to nothing about music, but I'm pretty sure that the minor keys and scales are just as needed as the major ones. Musician, you can correct me. Yes, I've got a thumbs up. Yes. Uh, we may not use the minor ones as often, but the canon of scales wouldn't be complete without them. The same is true for the minor prophets. We may not hear them as often, like the minor keys, but the canon of Scripture wouldn't be complete without them. The minor prophets may be the minor scale of the Bible, and they may strike a, a sad melody like a minor scale does at times, but we need them. We need to hear God speak through them. We need to hear prophets like Haggai calling God's people to a higher purpose. Before we dive into chapter 1 today, let me give you just a little bit of context. A little bit of context. I, and I know, I know many people's eyes glaze over when you start citing dates and historical background. And I know we have our younger kids with us today, and I don't want to lose them from the start. So I'm going to tell you the historical background like you've never heard it before. I was talking with Joel this morning. I said, I'm going to tell it to you in Star Wars, Joel. In Star Wars, you're going to get it. Uh, 
kids, did I have your attention now? I'm going to tell it to you in Star Wars. Parents, whenever you have something difficult to explain, something tedious, something uninteresting, just tell it to them in Star Wars, and they get it. Um, okay, here goes. Here goes nothing. Kids, here's the story. God's Old Testament people were disobedient. So disobedient, so often, that God disciplined them with evil empires, the evil empires of their day. And you can hear, hear the imperial march as the Assyrians come. Dun, 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 dun. Here they come. And the Assyrians, the empire, takes away the north, the north of Israel. They're gone. They're taken off into captivity. Uh, they are never seen again, kind of like Alderaan, never seen again. Is that too soon? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> never seen again. Uh, about 150 years later, another empire comes, the Babylonians. Dun, 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 dun. They come, and they conquer Judea, the south. And they took those people away into exile as well. But through the prophets, God birthed in the people a special hope. A new hope, you might say. A hope of release from the empire's captivity. A hope of restoration to their home. And after 70 years in Babylonian captivity, the Jewish exiles were miraculously released to return to Jerusalem. And for them, it must have felt like the equivalent of the Death Star blowing up. That's it. Let's blow this thing and go home. They're, we're out of here. But imagine this. Imagine they return to their land. It felt like a celebration at first. It felt like the end of the new hope where you get the same sense of joy and optimism. The only thing lacking for the Israelites was probably the John Williams score. That kind of, it gets you, it gets you right there, lifting you up. But by the time of Haggai, we have left the end of Star Wars and New Hope, and we have moved on to the Empire Strikes Back. This is where we are. The times are lean. The opposition is real. Hope hangs by a thread here. Instead of the triumphal cry, yes, we can do it, the people are saying, no, we can't. We can't. Look at verse 2. This is what they're saying. This people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The times are unfavorable. The cultural current is pushing against us too fiercely. Obedience is just too costly, especially when you factor in the price of lumber. It is just too costly. It's easier just to keep our heads down and go away, do our own thing. Maybe it's time to build that family bunker we've always been thinking about. Now's the time. God's work can wait for more favorable days. To which God responds in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? The people are thinking the times are lean. Maybe we should look to our own securities for a while. Maybe I'll invest in my own little kingdom for a little while. Maybe I'll forget about the larger mission for a minute and do a little personal enrichment, a little Jedi training, 
on Dagobah will, will set me up. That's, that's the ticket. That's what I should do. Now, I've only been back in America, admittedly, for about five months. But through those five months, in those five months, through conversations, through comments I've here made, I get the feeling from many of you that you see the parallels here between Haggai's day and our day. You feel, many of you feel, the cultural stream flowing against you and against the truth, against the truth that you know and love. You feel the hostility that's in the cultural air, the meanness of social media. You feel it. You feel the leanness of the times, both in a wider spiritual sense, but also in a very personal, local sense. Alberta Baptist Church is a much leaner church than we've been in quite some time. We've contracted over the pandemic, like many churches. We've gone through some other things as well. We've contracted members dying, members leaving. We're having to tighten our belts and reassess our capacities as a church. Like the exiles returning home to discover adversity and lean times awaited them, we find ourselves kind of post-pandemic in much the same position. And God puts before us today the same question. Is this a time when we look out for ourselves or will we lean further into the mission? Which is it going to be, Alberta? I, I bet you already know what God's going to say. Kids, you know, right? <laughs> you know what God's going to say. Uh, it, kids, in all the best books that you've ever read, all the best movies you've ever seen, how do the characters you love respond to hard times? Do they look out for themselves and go home when it gets tough? Or do they stick it out? Do they stick to the mission? Do they press on with the quest? What do they do? Kids, you know what they do. They tighten their belts and keep walking toward Mordor. They storm Cloud City to save their friends, knowing it's a trap. They press on in sacrificial generosity when the times are lean and when the road gets hard. Those are the characters we want to be right? That's the character we want to be. But most often, we act like the characters that we despise in books, in films. We're selfish. We're quick to quit and throw in the towel. We're easily frustrated, so easily frustrated. We, we think the right thing to do is just too hard. We think the mission is too costly. If our lives were written up as a book and handed it us to read, most of us wouldn't like our character, would we? How easily we give up and get frustrated. But good characters, in any book, in any story, good characters grow. Good characters develop. And we need some character development. God's people need to have their characters developed, and that's what we see here 
in the book of Haggai. The type of character that leans further into the mission when the chips are down doesn't come by chance. It comes by correction. God correcting us. God correcting and reforming the character of his people. This is what he's doing through prophets like Haggai. Look at verses 5 and 6. This is what the Lord says. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. God acknowledges here that the times are lean, the times are tough, that the harvest is little, that the food isn't enough to satisfy, that there is not enough elixir in the barrel to take the adult dose. Um, You might get that Andy Griffith reference, maybe you don't. Uh, There's not enough wine there to get drunk on. The clothes are not enough to keep warm. And the most vivid image, I think, is the last one in verse 6. Those who hoard to themselves, who hang on to their resources, who save up their wages, their earnings, they are putting their treasures into a purse with holes. There's something almost comedic about that image. I, I had the, the memory flashback to me. Has anybody, have you seen Darby O'Gill and the Little People? Darby O'Gill in the... the King Brian's underground kingdom, filling his pockets with the leprechaun's gold and running out before the doors close and the coins are just falling out, falling out, falling out. And he comes to the other side, I made it out, reaches in his pocket and it's all gone. He put all his treasure into a purse with holes. God says, "That's, that's what's happening. God tells us why this is happening, why the, the people's purses are full of holes in verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little when you bring it home. Why? Because I blow it away. And why do I do that? Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own home. Therefore, Because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on all the labors of your hands. God says unequivocally, I did it. I brought on the lean times. Why? Because you neglected the mission. You exchanged a higher purpose for an earthly one. You set about building your own kingdom when I sent you as an ambassador for mine. God's people had gotten it all wrong. They thought the times are lean. Therefore, we can't engage sacrificially in God's work. When in fact, the opposite was true. We didn't engage sacrificially in God's work. Therefore, the times are lean. We, ha- we got the cart before the horse. 
we got the cause and effect reversed. We've been looking at it upside down. The reason we like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill only to see it roll back again and again, the reason is because we weren't meant to be pushing rocks in the first place. We have a higher purpose than that. Or at least we've chosen the wrong hill, the wrong hill to die on. We weren't meant to be building our own kingdoms. That's not our purpose. Life isn't about our ambitions. It's about our mission. It's about the mission God has given to us. Kids, you need to learn early that life doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around Jesus. And that's good news. Because only he is big enough to be the center of all things. You're not big enough. Only he is big enough to be the center. And God is kind when he reminds us of this. He is kind when he undoes all the labor of our hands when we are laboring in the wrong direction. When we are not laboring for him. It's a wake-up call. It's a call to, to take up a higher purpose. And we can see how God's people responded to this wake-up call in verse 12. Look with me again in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by commission from God to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. This is always God's disposition toward a repentant people. I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord. And how did the story end? Verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. God stirred up the spirit of his people, and less than a month later, they were back fulfilling their purpose. Praise God. That's good and encouraging news for us, isn't it? God's people can respond well. As God stirs up their spirit in response to his word. We can't move on from Haggai this morning without asking ourselves this question. God stirred up the spirit of his people in the book of Haggai. What would it look like for God to stir up the spirit of Alberta Baptist Church? What would it look like for God to stir up the spirit of all the remnant of the people he has brought together here? In Haggai's day, the answer was build a temple for God's glory among the nations. That was the answer for the Old Testament people of God. But what's our answer? What's the answer for God's New Testament people? God's New Testament people post-pandemic, post-tornado, 
Well, as a church, as you can see, we've already built something physical, haven't we? And we've dedicated this to the glory of God. This building is a wonderful thing. And through a lot of diligence, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of good stewardship, we worship in it today debt-free. So thankful for that. But the higher purpose of the church has always been spiritual, not physical. History is full of churches without buildings who have sacrificially engaged in the mission of God. The real mission lies in building up the spiritual temple. The spiritual temple of God's praise, the people. So what would it look like for God to stir up us to engage sacrificially in his mission during lean post-pandemic times? I think first, it must look like a growing involvement in the spiritual life of the family. A growing involvement in the spiritual life of the family. We are called to build up one another in Christ as the family of God. We are called to welcome the lost and the hurting into the family, into the life of the family. Now, as a church, we've got more going on than any one person can be involved in. You can't be involved in everything. For instance, we've started a lot of new life groups. There's, there's many now, and we've got more that are ready to start. Uh, there are conversations starting this week about making helping hands into a life group focused on caring, loving, serving our community, Alberta City. We've got more going on than you have time to be involved in. So you don't have to be involved in every bit of family life. You don't have to be at everything. But if you're going to build up God's kingdom, you do have to be involved somewhere. Because the shared life of the church is where kingdom work happens. And that's just the way Jesus designed it. He didn't send us out as, as lone guns. He created a body, a people, a church. This past Friday night, we had a games night over there in the cafe. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. Fun times were had. We had people there uh, from other nations who were coming. And this is some of their first interactions with Christians. There were ready-made opportunities to build relationships, to love like Christ loves you, to welcome like Christ has welcomed you, and to speak the gospel, to speak a good word for Christ. Beautiful, ready-made opportunities, but you had to be there, right? You had to be there. Folks, I played Scrabble, and I hate Scrabble. <laughs> I hate it with a passion, but I played it because there was a student from India that I wanted to get to know and spend time with, and she wanted to play Scrabble, and Lynn wanted to play Scrabble. So I played Scrabble and got to know someone better uh, got, got to love on someone who was having a hard day as well. Ready-made opportunities, but you have to be there. You have to be involved. God's stirring up the spirit of ABC 
almost certainly looks like greater involvement in the life of the family. Building it up and pulling others into that life. The first thing we see, or the first thing that this will produce is greater involvement in the life of the family, but I think that will also produce a second thing, which is almost too obvious to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. God stirring up the spirit of ABC will produce, secondly, a volunteer army, an army of volunteers, a church where every member ministers. That's God's design, not mine. A lot of the time, it's easier just to do it yourself. It's, it's less messy. It's more manageable. It's easier to do it yourself than to train and equip someone else to do it. But that's not the job description of the pastor we find in the Bible, is it? Do it all yourself. Rather, what's the job description? Equip. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's why God gave pastors to the church, to equip you to do the mission. Why? Because capacity is limited. My capacity is limited. I can only be in relationship with so many people at one time. And as I give capacity to someone, I'm probably taking capacity away from someone else. But as you equip, you multiply capacity, don't you? You multiply missionaries. You multiply ministers. It's like the old saying, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for the rest of his life. Or, I like the newer version, it's a bit more catchy. Give a man a fire, and you warm him for a day. Set a man on fire, and he will be warm for the rest of his life. <laughs> Parents, you, you know this. You know it's easier to just do it yourself. It's easier to just do it yourself. Kids, you thought that was funny. It's easier just to do it yourself. It's easier to do it yourself than to teach your kids to wash up, to wash the dishes. If you teach them, there's going to be some broken dishes along the way. Uh, some washing up will not meet your minimal standards. But you've taught someone else how to serve. You provided them with an opportunity to care for the family. And what's best? Dishes completely clean and all intact or someone having the opportunity to serve. And kids, you just have to trust us as parents. You have to trust us that you'll be better for it. You'll be better off for it. You're, you'll be more like the characters you want to read about because your parents taught you to do things, made you do things taught you to serve because your parents took time to teach you how to serve the family instead of doing everything for you. As a church family, we need volunteers. There are many areas, but I want to highlight two of them and only two for the sake of time. We need volunteers to serve our children. We need volunteers to serve our children. We have a new child protection policy that we're, we're phasing in, putting in place, which means we need multiple eyes observing children at all times. Uh, so we need more volunteers. And you know the saying, many hands make light work, right? 
if we have a new wave of volunteers coming in to serve our children, then everyone only has to serve a little. There's a rotation. You can serve for a month and be off two months if there is enough volunteers to do it. We need volunteers. If, if you can serve the family by working with our younger kids, then talk with Amber, Amber Dodd. I don't know if she's in the room at the moment, but talk with Amber. Uh, she, uh, we, we want her in here. She's usually not in here because she's off with our kids. I like to see her in this service more because others are serving our kids as well. We also need volunteers who can serve those who are in a time of mourning. We, we used to have a bereavement team who would fly into action whenever someone passed away. But with the pandemic, you know, public gatherings, providing of meals, all those things went away for a time. But now we're making the first steps back to doing that again. And I think God is already at work. God's already stirring up the spirit of ABC. Because just last Sunday, I had Bernice Savage come to me and say, I can, I can organize I can organize those volunteers. I can rally the troops when they're needed. So if you're here this morning and you want to be one of those troops, you want to answer the call to action, please talk to Bernice. Bernice is back there. Um, wave her hand. Yep, talk to Bernice. Uh, say, I want to be part of that. Make no mistake, a church runs on volunteers. But a church also runs on its giving, giving. Here's, here's a third mark. God stirring up the spirit of ABC will look like, thirdly, an awful lot of sacrificial giving. That's what Haggai was calling the people to do in order to build God's temple in Jerusalem, calling them to give sacrificially. That's what God is calling us to do in order to build God's kingdom in Alberta City. He's calling us to make the wise investment, investing in his eternal kingdom, not building up our own temporary ones. He's calling us to a higher purpose than hoarding our resources to ourselves. Remember, if we hoard because the times are lean, God can make it where everything we save goes into a pocket with holes and is gone. God wants us to invest in eternal things. Things that can't be lost, that can't be stolen from us. Because that's smart. That's, and that requires of us faith. Requires of us a functional faith. But what does sacrificial giving look like for you? What does that look like for you? And I really can't answer that question. I don't know. It probably ought to look like tithing a tenth of what God gives you if you're not doing that already. If you are, it may look like saying no to some temporary investments in order to say a bigger yes to some eternal ones. It's probably good for all of us to be in the position where we have to say no to some things because we're saying yes so sacrificially to God's mission. That's a good place to be in. That's good for our hearts. That's good for our souls. And in heaven, we will never once regret 
that we kept more for ourselves. We'll never once wish that. If anything, we will wish that we had been more generous, more giving, more sacrificial. I'll be honest with you, church. Our giving capacity as a church has almost been halved from where we were 2019 pre-pandemic. Now, our expenses have gone down significantly, so things aren't bad. But if we are to advance, if we're to add back a dedicated college pastor, if we're to add back a dedicated children's minister, if we're to branch out into new ministries to international students, to unreached peoples who are right here at our doorstep, if we're to get someone dedicated to community outreach, to expand our capacity for ministry, then our giving capacity needs to expand as well. And everyone knows this, right? This isn't this isn't news. Everyone knows this. The more you give, the more capacity we have for ministry. You tithe on what you receive. The church also tithes. I don't know if you know this. The church also tithes on what we receive. 10% goes off to the cooperative program doing mission through Southern Baptist Convention all over the world. But another 10, 11, 12% also goes away to do church planting in Europe and orphan care in Haiti and feeding and educating children through compassion in Africa, uh, caring for pastors, providing for their families in Cuba, and a host of other missions, uh, efforts around the world are happening through every dollar that's given here. And we want that to continue. We want to continue to do that. We want to see that done more and more. We want to continue to do that whether the times are lean or abundant. We want to continue pouring our resources into God's mission, making eternal investments around the world. When the king returns, I want to be so very glad that I gave sacrificially. And I want you to be So very glad that you gave sacrificially as well to the work of the king. So, how are you going to respond to God's word through Haggai? What is God calling you to do? All that anyone can do is to be faithful. To be faithful to do what God is stirring up in your heart right now to do. Would you do that? Would you do that this morning? Would you answer God's call to a higher purpose in sacrificial giving, in servant-hearted volunteering, and in joyful involvement in the life of the family? Not looking around at what others might do, but looking at your own heart and saying, here I am. Lord, use me. Let's pray together. Father, we see in your word the great encouragement of your people responding well. And Lord, I pray that we at ABC would respond well. That you would be at work in our midst, stirring up the heart of the remnant of your people here 
to love and good works, to be sacrificial as we are overwhelmed by Jesus and his sacrificial generosity toward us. Lord, make us a people who reflect better and better the calls of your word to a higher purpose. Lord, I ask that you would do this in us, not for our name's sake, not to build up the kingdom for ABC, but to do our little part better in your greater global kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. If God is stirring up your spirits, I am always here at the front, at the altar, to talk to, to pray with. Equally, though, if God is stirring up your spirit, find Amber Dot this morning and tell her, you want to volunteer for kids' ministry. Bernice is here. Talk to her about bereavement. Jared is here. Talk to him about youth. Carol Barnett is back here. Talk to her about helping hands. Talk to her about helping out at the Boys and Girls Club on Wednesdays at 4. She needs more help there. Ed is right beside her. Talk to him about handyman ministry. Dewana is here somewhere, I think. Talk to her about hospitality. Michael Patrick is here. Talk to him about welcoming people on Sunday mornings. Jennifer's here, but that'd be a bit difficult to talk to her while she's singing <laughs> during, this, during this invitation. Uh, but going to any of these people as we sing it, or afterwards is an appropriate way to respond to God's word this morning.